Hello everyone, the following episode was recorded live directly after watching the movie and it was done so on my YouTube channel. I've cleaned it up for this version and I've edited out some of the dead air but essentially this is what was recorded so any glitches or any problems with the broadcast were exactly how they were recorded at the time. Hope you enjoy. Panic! Ah! Oh no! Ah, we're live everyone, <laughs> we are live! And it is time to talk about... Artemis Fowl. First of all, how are you all doing, everyone? I hope it's the most wonderful Friday evening for you. It's not going to get any better, unfortunately. (laughs) And uh, I have brought along some friends for the suffering. (laughs) Would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, It's me, Alison Pregler. And, I'm here. And, and me, Michael Scicciano, or Skitch. Yes, and together we have all watched Artemis Fowl, which arrived on Disney Plus as of today. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of thoughts on it. But first, I have to try and hear this into some kind of plot synopsis that actually makes sense. So, the plot of Artemis Fowl is that, of course, it is about a 12-year-old supposed criminal mastermind, played by Ferdia Shaw, whose father, uh, Artemis Fowl Sr., played by Colin Fowl, has been kidnapped by a nefarious pixie called Opal, supposedly played by Hong Chao. We're not quite sure of that, but supposedly, and is asked to find a mysterious MacGuffin called the powerful Aculos. Meanwhile, Holly Short, played by Lara McDonald, is a rookie elven officer for the Lower Elements Police, or Leprechaun, and she has been sent out to find said Aculos as well, and Artemis and Holly collide, and then most of the movie is set at Artemis's house, I guess. <laughs> So, before we really dive deep, how familiar are you with the Artemis Fowl books? Because I am not, and I deliberately avoided learning much about Artemis Fowl because I want to be the layperson here. I want to be the one going, okay, I'm going to treat this as a movie movie, Mm -hmm. you know, not as an adaptation. Artemis Fowl is a book I read around when it came out, so about 20 years ago. (laughs) Um, And uh, so I did not recall much of the plot. I do recall some things they changed, which I do have a problem with. But um, Mm. one of the main issues I had with Artemis Fowl as a book, which is evident in this uh, movie, as well is that Artemis Fowl is a character that's very hard to like or get behind or want to follow a child genius villain he's the antagonist of the of the series although this movie very much uh like um made him not even that compelling but um he's like the villain the movie has problems so you only have two things to focus on you have the uh the villain kid character or you have fairy cops which is not as compelling (laughs) that is either so yeah that's my familiarity with it yeah good timing on the fairy cops angle if there was a movie that we needed to see about fairy cops this was definitely not the time Mm -hmm. for it absolutely not and I'm I'm like you, Matt. I have no familiarity with the the books or the fact that this was an adaptation of a book coming into it. I just I just knew that it was not going to be good, and oh boy, <laughs> it delivered. Oh, in that we have respect. a super chat from uh, Carson Kelly. Hope this makes up for the trauma you guys endured. Oh, thank you, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Ten bucks okay. to film brain for the trauma. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> it, a little goes a long way. <laughs> oh, man. So the, Yeah, I think foul is the, a good description, is, isn't it, for this movie? Absolutely. Foul by nature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how many jokes do you think, uh, how many critics do you think came up with that particular joke? Oh, yeah, or, I'm or gonna guess foul play, or yeah. <laughs> they committed a foul, so, or... <laughs> Yeah, so Foul Ball yeah. had a particularly tortured time getting to the big screen. It's been in development for 20 years and <laughs> apparently uh, has been through numerous hands, including Harvey Weinstein's, unfortunately. <laughs> they sold and, uh, rights to this to Disney before the first book was published. Mm-hmm. There was like yes. an advertisement in the first book about the movie. I remember seeing that. <laughs> like, get ready for the Artemis Fowl movie. <laughs> and now I was prepared yeah. for this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you waited a long, long time. <laughs> so this movie, yeah, was meant to come out last summer. It was meant to come out in August of 2019. They released a trailer for it, I think, about may 2019 it was a very short teaser trailer i went that's that's very vague for a movie that's supposedly coming out quite soon and then sure enough they bumped it a whole year and then it was meant to be out in theaters at the end of may this year and then obviously that didn't happen because you know whole covid19 stuff so it's ended up on disney plus so i guess disney are cutting their losses on the 125 million dollars they spent on this i cannot believe they spent 125 million on what is essentially just a movie set in a house for most of it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah that has to be from the reshoots yeah that has to be from essentially shooting the film twice mm-hmm. yeah, yeah if even if you hadn't said this was a reshot Extensively, you can tell because Absolutely. there's so yeah. much voiceover um, so much. Yeah, exposition. It's about like uh, 60, 70 percent of it is exposition. It goes on forever. Mm-hmm. And the whole wraparound with Josh Gad uh, as uh, the classic Mulch Diggums. He's in uh, custody and he's retelling the story to the police about this, even yeah. though he is in one scene until like the the final act of it basically and then he's in the movie yes. he's explaining all of these things that he wouldn't be there for and mm-hmm. you can tell it's just a reshot mm-hmm. oh yeah it's it's horrendous the way the movie starts it opens with mulch diggums <laughs> being brought to some sort of mi6 secret oil rig interrogation place <laughs> and he's being interrogated by the voice of kenneth branner <laughs> And and there's and even at the very end of the movie, I'm still not entirely sure how he enough end up in there and why particularly. Because other Artemis arranged it. He told us he's yeah. such a genius. He he's arranged for it to genius. happen. He's such a genius. He put a tracking device. In he arranged for it to happen so he could tell his story and go like, "Hey, leave the fouls alone," because I'm so cool. He was his own <laughs> hype man. How do we know anything in the movie really happened? This is just what what he told Mulch Diggums happened, and then he told the people. People, yeah. It's a very unreliable narrator, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's essentially an excuse for Josh Gad to literally talk into the camera exactly what I'm doing at length. Mm-hmm. Every so often, they will keep cutting to Josh Gad, and every time they have to introduce a character, Josh Gad will talk about that person like he like he in any way knew them, mm-hmm. despite the fact that he's hardly in the movie for yeah. the majority of the running time. Yeah, it, it, it's sort. Of, it's, it, it's just sort of like. 
it, I mentioned this when we were watching. Um, it, it gave me the vibes that the movie was both way too short, but excessively padded at the same time. It barely so, got 88 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they got to about 88 minutes worth of running time, and that was about it. You can tell that they they were hitting a 90-minute mark. Like, we got to get this to absolutely 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what happens in it. Doesn't, like, character beats or anything. Nothing. Because this movie is absolutely all over the place. We haven't even mentioned the fact that there is dueling narrators, because also... Colin Fowle's character also serves as something of a narrator because Artemis keeps reading the journals left behind by his dad. So there's more exposition on top of the exposition, as well as the exposition being delivered constantly out of the dialogue simultaneously. Well, you could pick out where the reshoot exposition was, where the other reshoot exposition was, where the um, original exposition was, because they go from the M6, M16 uh, interrogations center josh gad narration into like and then here's his dad and then here's artemis fowl and then well no it was it was here's artemis the after that uh wraparound segment they went to artemis fowl our first introduction to him he's talking to like this psychologist i think at the school mm-hmm. um about like, yes. a chair or something and then the psychologist is also telling us his backstory. He's like, you're a genius. You know all this stuff. Do, 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 do. This is them telling us who Artemis Fowl is and what what his uh, what his MO is and all that. And we already know this from the other narration. We're not actually seeing any of this from Artemis Fowl himself, who is probably the weakest element of this film. No, exactly. Uh, just a quick uh, super chat from Parabeam08. Do you watch any anime films or shows? <laughs> I'm afraid I don't. Not a, not a lot, I'm afraid. Not a lot. <laughs> Going back to the There was um, a manga, the, the, the... I think, of uh, of Artemis Fowl. Does that tie in? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> just a graphic novel. Yeah, there 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 is some interesting stuff. It could it could be an anime. Um the scene with the psychiatrist is is emblematic of the entire movie where nothing is ever actually shown. Mm-hmm. It's always told. Yep. It, it always feels like reams and reams of exposition. It feels like you're reading character biographies off Wikipedia. Yeah. They keep hyping Glaringly. up. They keep hyping up what a genius Artemis Fowl is, but we never see it. He doesn't really come up. He even says at the end, he says, like, I'm a genius or something. I'm a, I'm, like, I'm a criminal I'm, mastermind. Criminal like, mastermind. And we're like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he says he's a criminal mastermind, having done almost nothing criminal throughout the entire to the running. No, if yeah. anything, like, even... he came off like less of a villain, which, I mean, would help to make him more likable than in the books. But then he came off like nothing. Nothing. They didn't give us anything. Yeah, Artemis himself is a crucial, fundamental problem with this movie because, on on in terms of the characterization, okay, the character in the book is an anti-hero. He's not meant to be the the hero that we're rooting for. He mm-hmm. gets something resembling a redemption arc, as I understand it. But essentially, he's the villain of the story. Mm-hmm. He's meant to be the sort of character that you that we're meant to dislike but also be charmed by at the same time and you can clearly tell the filmmakers were like but we need to make him likable we need to make him accessible to children and it feels like they've completely missed the point of the story because by taking out the main you know sort of characterization of the character you're left with a real void especially in terms of of the performance that 
the kid that stars in it, uh, Further Shaw, this is his first movie. I felt so bad for him oh, yeah. the entirety of this film. You mean, according because... to IMDb, Deferds? Deferds himself? <laughs> Deferds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel I felt really bad for Deferds. Um, it's, uh, he's just, I don't think he was ready. No. I think he's just too green, no. and his performance, you could tell, like, everyone was acting circles around him, and, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be too down on him about it because i think he put in a really good effort but i think like he just needed to to start with some smaller parts and get a little more experience because he he just comes off very weak in this mm-hmm. oh yeah he is so he's very very weak in this and especially considering he's ostensibly meant to be the main character yeah. he, he, like you said he's just not ready for prime time and i i blame a lot of this on kenneth branagh not the kid because yeah. kenneth branagh should be the one that's directing him yeah. and every time he comes out with what is supposed to be meant to be a big impressive line reading just completely flat yeah that last line where he says like that that he's a, a criminal mm-hmm. mastermind that is meant to be the big badass finishing yeah. line if they didn't have that reshoot segment with uh, josh gad that would have been the final line of the movie before he flies off in his helicopter into the sunset that's absolutely what that was but it was so flat yeah, it was arguably yeah. the worst line read of the movie. Is I'm a criminal mastermind. <laughs> oh man! And the the thing about the so the kid is apparently the great grandson of uh, not the great is apparently the grandson of Robert Shaw, the actor who played Quentin Jaws and Grant in From Russia with Love, which is some amazing familial connections there. Yeah. It almost feels like they picked him because of that to a certain extent, but you know. It, it, like you, like you said before, he, he's just not ready for this kind of part. And I feel like Artemis is a character when you've got a, a role that's not being played very well and not being very well written. You've got an immediate void at the center of the movie, and I feel like the filmmakers were trying to compensate with that because another thing that they added in the reshoots apparently was Colin Farrell playing his father. The whole kidnapping angle is so clearly bolted on. It feels like Colin Farrell is in another dimension half the time. <laughs> he shot his scenes in three days. And considering how much of this plot seems to be what's happening in the movie is this kidnapping angle. And that was a reshoot and also something from like the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like that, that's pretty bad. Cons- like what was the original movie like before they added this stuff? Yeah. A quick super chat from uh, Lindsay, who did the uh, who does the uh, titles for Projector. Uh, Hug Minion says hello. This movie hurt me. It hurts us too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a comment that someone said that the first trailer for this uh, movie had scenes that were clearly not in the final product as well, which sort of further points to like reshoots and other things that were done in this particular production. Oh, oh yeah, you can clearly tell that this had been hacked up and bolted back together maybe even several times Mm -hmm. it feels like they had a test screening and the and the notes they got were we can't understand the plot we don't know who any of the characters are and we want more josh gad and they address those three issues with clumsy voiceover terrible wraparound device and just more exposition Mm -hmm. i mean if there was it's hard to tell what is uh part i mean there's a lot of stuff that's obviously reshoots but it's hard to tell what other things might be reshoots um so i don't know if this stuff was part of it but when they have like the clunky stuff like when the the fairies the fairy police 
are talking to each other and it's like ah her father was a traitor and as you know and do 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 yeah. it's like what do you need yeah. to, like that's so clunky just this one line just to let us know what's going on when it was such an important part of the character well, I like i remember that being very important in the book and there's a lot of things um about uh about her character in particular um uh, holly's character that like was completely removed from the movie she has no arc at all mm-hmm. no um just just a quick super chat again from cartoon kelly have some more money to improve the foul mood this movie left you in <laughs> thank you kelly <laughs> um I, indeed I, holly is meant to be the main character of the books as i understand it and her and she most obviously gets the short shrift in this adaptation because the, again this movie doesn't seem to know who is meant to be the protagonist sometimes it's holly sometimes it's artemis and then sometimes josh gab shows up claiming that he's the protagonist <laughs> <laughs> mulch diggums that mulch classic diggums. mulch diggums mm-hmm. um i wanted to talk about because we're talking about holly the whitewashing in this movie oh boy. which is not great yeah. because as her character is described in the book and all the fairies really um they're described as having coffee colored skin tones so they are clearly not white um but they've made them very white in this movie um and then there's other characters that they've changed like okay so the butler is like uh, in the book eurasian but they changed him into a a black guy and it's like making a character not black and then the other one like who is a a character in servitude black does not really like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not a good look for Mm -hmm. this movie no all of the people Uh, of color are like supporting characters uh two two more super chats one from b love your content i've been a subscriber for years love the beard by the way oh thank you it's not intentional uh, i watched equilibrium last night and was yelling symbolism uh and lord sm sm lord smaf uh asked, since the book is irish how good or, or bad are the accents well um the kid playing artemis is actually irish so um, points for him josh gad terrible mm-hmm. sounds like batman yeah <laughs> and uh yeah and judy dench does a surprisingly good try but does sound a bit like um mrs brown's boy mm-hmm. actually it's <laughs> yes. top of the morning in the and then what, yeah. what was the sh- the, yeah. the four-leaf clover line get the again? four get the four-leaf clover out of here Get the four-leaf yeah. clover out of here. That what is, in the world? That's the level of dialogue. That is amazing dialogue right there. That's one of it. That was so... Someone told Judy Dench that she had to say the line, get the four-leaf clover out of here in all seriousness. <laughs> like, man, that is some friendship between Judy Dench and Kenneth Brown that, you ha- that you're allowed to say things like that. When they started off and then they're like, the subtitles were like Irish music playing and it's just... Most cliche, and then mm-hmm. like, yeah, the the score has so many Irish lilts and mm-hmm. things like that. I'm like, oh my yeah. god, it's it's like watching. It's you never think that Kenneth Branagh was Northern Irish because it feels like it was. It it reminded me of the movie Leap Year at times, which, funnily enough, was also directed by someone from Ireland. But you never tell. Yeah, and funnily enough, the composer is an Irish but Scottish because it's Patrick Doyle who, among other things, worked on Brave. <laughs> Can you make this score more Irish? It feels like in the first act of the movie, they keep mentioning Ireland about 40 times, and then the the MacGuffin of the film, the Aculos, they mention that even more. 
Except I still... They, they obviously didn't mention it enough because I cannot get that name to stick in my head no matter how much well, I try. As you, as you know, the Aculus is the most important thing. As you know. As you know. As you know. Uh, I gotta admit, oh. the movie kind of lost me after a point. So all this stuff about the Aculus, I'm yeah. like, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Not yeah. following terribly well because as much exposition as it was, it 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 dares you to actually pay attention to what any of this because they're throwing so much at you but not actually showing any of it so it's just it's very boring it's weird it's like the 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 people that wrote it took the tack of okay we're going to incorporate as much of this world as possible but they just do it in just merciless dumps of information throughout the entirety of the movie Mm -hmm. and half of it isn't even relevant to the story that's supposed to be being told Mm -hmm. most of this should be just informing the background stuff but instead they stop the movie to have characters interact with goblins and things like that like why why is there a lengthy scene where josh gaz in a prison cell with goblins and then he fries the goblin brain what sense does that even make right you know, they, they, they made a point to make it clear that goblin skin is fireproof but their brains are not and like we didn't need to know that no in no way does that come back up again the execution of some of these scenes it's like you understand the reasoning for some of it but the way that they do it is very bad they have that scene where he's talking to the the psychiatrist and they he states something about his chair and it's a pointless detail and so you figure like okay immediately after he starts telling him all these details he's like this is my favorite chair and it was the it was the queen's favorite chair and my grandfather bought it you know immediately you're like okay so artemis is gonna say it's a fake he's gonna stay all these say all these details because he's very smart and he knows a fake when he sees it but the way that they go about it they set it up and then it's after he goes like you're so smart and you know all these things and do 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 and then they're just like stating all these things to you when you could just have like he's talking to him about whatever behavioral problems or whatever he needs to talk to him for and then throw in that detail about the chair and then he says like oh it's a fake and then you understand just from that like this kid is very smart and he knows about history and he knows enough to know that this is a not uh, from the time period he said it was rather than like after all of this dump the debt to then do that you could have cut yeah. some of that out quick super chat from ellen uh thank you again thank you uh yeah everything about the movie is relentlessly functional i think that's the best way of describing it oh. it's got it's one of those it's one of those movies where you can clearly tell they've chopped it up so that the only thing actually remaining of anything is literally just the story such as it is. And so anything that doesn't serve it has been chopped out. Scenes end on really abrupt notes. Like, they don't feel like they have any kind of closure. It feels like scenes only exist to establish plot points. Yeah, even the names are just functional. Mm -hmm. The butler is literally named Butler. The dwarf that digs is called Diggums. By the way, this movie is so whitewashed that, like, Diggums is supposed to be, like, a dwarf. And then, I say whitewashed, but I mean, like, they didn't cast a little person, so they were just like, let's just call attention to it a ton, just that he's very tall, even though he's supposed to be short. It's like, why did it have to be a tall guy then? He's he's a dwarf! What's the point of this? You think think that the star power of Josh Gad is what's going to get you through? Because, like, you know, I've seen Josh Gad in maybe one role that I really liked, but otherwise, like, (laughs) I I think he's very annoying. Even then, I think he was just miscast in this role. I think Mm -hmm. there would have been a better person to play this dwarf character. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Josh Gad is incredibly distracting throughout the entirety of the movie, not just because of the terrible narration and wraparound storyline, but also because he constantly keeps doing really annoying, out-of-place jokes throughout the entirety of his appearance. He 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 has a scene where he's talking to Judy Dench and tells her that she looks like David Bowie and calls her Britney. He does that like pop culture semi-improvised humor that is so distracting that they keep insisting on inserting into everything now. Mm-hmm. It's like I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it was improvised when he's doing those references like that. It really genuinely wouldn't surprise me. He's he, and he's doing this while he's doing this voice switches. It just sounds like someone doing a bad Batman impression. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds really strained. And then they do the, like, the, the, like, body horror elements with him. Oh, gosh. (laughs) We were not prepared when that happened. No. Are we supposed to watch our language? I just, I just threw a swear in here. (laughs) Oh, whatever. It's fine. You you watch your four-leaf clover mouth there, lady. Yes, Josh Gad, in horrific CG effects, opens up his mouth and in incredibly wide like his entire jaw has been replaced in this monstrous form and then he starts chewing through the ground and it spurts out of his bum hole like yeah. I, I like, like that one line someone mentioned men in black meets by kids meets bright i'm like that's it that's actually and they do that horrifying effect yeah. several times oh and it never looks convincing and it always looks terrible terrible really freaky looking like apparently that was something from the books they kept that bit yep. <laughs> they kept that bit <laughs> but oh man it would have felt less weird if he looked fantastical in any way mm-hmm. but it just looks like yeah. Rush Gad with a beard it looks yeah. like yeah, discount it... Hagrid <laughs> yeah he, he steps on screen looking like Hagrid there's no attempt to make him feel in any way fantastical and then he just burrows through the ground like he's a mole <laughs> Uh, Cartoon Kelly again, and Disney wanted to cast a snowman. They sure did. I, wi- I, I wish he was playing Olaf in this. Mm-hmm. Mulch Diggums. Mulch Diggums. <laughs> Just the name. Mulch Diggums. That, this, is, this is something that uh, I realize is in the book, but it's stupid anyway. Mulch Diggums. <laughs> well, I, I think it's just... Jeez. <sighs> Well, there is a character called Butler who they insist that you should never call Butler, even though that is both his name and occupation. Yeah, yes. the fact that okay, here was something weird about his character. So they they changed him uh, in into uh, from a Eurasian character to a black character, which mm-hmm. would not be as big of a deal if it wasn't a Butler character. And then they're like. <laughs> whitewashing other characters that's very problematic to me mm. but then they add this weird aesthetic to him that is not part of this character where it's he's got like this bleach blonde hair and bright blue contacts and we were trying to figure out if this was just like an aesthetic like this character just liked wearing contacts or if he was supposed to be mystical in some way mm-hmm. or if like you were theorizing matt that he had like those like eye cameras in maybe to help him see things you know but it didn't seem yeah, like the same yeah. it was just very it, weird it, 
it's an exceptionally weird detail that goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, like and the the guy that plays him, Nonzo Anonzi, um, he's he's actually quite a regular in Kenneth Branagh's films. He's popped up several times. He popped up in Cinderella, and he has a big fight scene with Chris Pine in Jack Ryan. It it just seemed like the excuse was there just to cast one of his regular actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could have. Ha- there were so many roles they could have put put him in that was not the butler, though. <laughs> Yeah. It's hard to comprehend what actually goes on in this movie because simultaneously so much happens and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. It's a $125 million movie where at least two-thirds of the running time is set in a house. Yeah, and he just, like he captures the fairy, which is like the main plot of the, the first book, and it's just so little of it. And then like they have this whole thing with the butler's niece is there, and she's such a non-character. I feel like they cut out a lot of stuff with her. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, it, it, all of the stuff with Holly, like you know, she had this whole arc about like um, being the first woman in her. Um, I don't know if it was department or section or whatever. Yeah. Like this was a big deal, like in the books, but in this, it Judy Dench is there, so that's like not that there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, she had this thing about proving herself because her father. They they said he was a traitor. I forget what the deal was with that, but mm-hmm. regardless, like he's got this whole thing to prove, and she just has like nothing to do here, barely anything. Mm-hmm. It's weird, and they and it's strange that they do the whole Santa Claus thing where um they have like children playing adult so right. she's supposed to be like 84 years old which is like young and fairy years but obviously like old enough to you know be a, a police officer or leprechaun Sorry, or whatever for a second because yeah. I, I got a low battery notification i realized i hadn't put the i hadn't put my laptop on charge. Oh, <laughs> no. but, yeah the point there about uh, about the fact that they they made changes which at- entirely defeat the purpose of the character in the first place mm-hmm. the judy dench thing too oh yeah <laughs> There's so much to cover. Yeah, Judy so Dench. Um that the the whatever villain kidnapped uh, uh Colin Farrell sounds like mm. Judy Dench. I don't know if that is her voice, but it sounded like her poorly disguised. I don't know what that was about. Maybe that was yeah, just Judy Dench what it sounded like. With her fairies. It may have been the case that in their reshoots and other efforts, they might have done some recasting and had Judy Dench just do read those lines. Um, and why, not why would they have her, her in particular do it though? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this, this is what we go. This is what we go back to. So the character of uh, uh, supposedly Hong Chao plays Opal, uh, an ostensible villain of the movie who doesn't actually do anything, nor shows their face, and the voice is distorted throughout the entirety of the running <laughs> time. So it seems like Hong might have got replaced at some point in the reshoots when they replaced that character, because that's the one that kidnaps Colin Farrell in the movie. That- I, I didn't understand the point of any of that. I didn't know what was going no. on. I didn't know why... Uh, why they i guess they had uh, him kidnapped because the fowls were making a bunch of trouble for you know magical folk or something but then like mm-hmm. i guess i mean i know it wanted the she wanted the oculus but like i just didn't really get the point of any of it it's because the movie is fabulously incoherent despite the fact that not oculus what was it called <laughs> it's not oculus what was the name of the thing it it, it was cool the Aculos. Aculos. Aculos yeah. is like that thing like the, fake ghost hunters use to talk to ghosts, I think. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a VR headset, but same deal. Oh, yeah, it's like they are VR. Okay, I knew it was some sort of tech thing that's not what we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 
uh, live uh, another uh, super chat from uh, Tony Kogan. Uh, did Artemis a- ever actually get told the villain's name? He just seems to know. Guess why that she's credited as shadowy female figure for three actors and Hong Chao was meant to play her and was cut out. Oh, so I guess Wiki is inaccurate there, but no, I don't think Artemis did actually learn Opal's name in this. He just suddenly knows it. And, yep. but, you know, that, that applies because so many things Artemis just suddenly knows mm-hmm. out of absolutely nowhere because I guess he read the journals or something. Like, how does he know any of this? And then they confuse it even further with voiceover narration where they... When Josh Gad's character finally enters into the plot, he says something along the lines of, well, Artemis' great scheme has gone into motion. Like, he doesn't know that character. That wasn't part of his plan, was it? It just muddles what is already there in the first place. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that was brought up, I I did not, I I missed the very beginning of the movie when Artemis was surfing, but um, apparently there's at least a scene shot in Vietnam that, (laughs) <laughs> we don't know when that happened. Is that the surfing or what? Where was the Vietnam stuff? Or was it you know, just like in a, there's there's so many locations for this movie. There's several locations in Italy. Because I thought the stuff. surfing was in Ireland. Because that was there was voiceover over it where they were. Uh, that was the most like Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. Oh, we love Ireland. <laughs> he loves to surf in the sea and the Ireland, and then play the bagpipes and the Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. <laughs> like, yeah. All right, man, we get it. <laughs> cool, cool story, bro. Uh... <laughs> yeah, just just relentlessly going on about Ireland. And like, oh, we've got a character that's doing a cool introduction. See, the thing about Artemis Fowl and the whole long development of it is that obviously what it reminds you of is the YA movies that came out 15 years ago. Mm. I made a joke yeah. something about it feeling like the hit movie of 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like it's come out of a time machine. Yeah, it feels like those movies uh, right around, like, you know, City of Ember and, uh, you know, all those, like, young adult novels that were, like, they tried to push, like, that big boom early 2000s, um, early yeah, to yeah. mid-2000s, because they, they wanted it to be the next Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And there yeah, would be, like... a freak. Yeah, there would Percy always be, Jackson. like... Yeah. yeah, there would always be just, like, the first in a series that you knew wasn't going to get a sequel, and this feels exactly like that. There's there's not going to be an Artemis Fowl 2. <laughs> it ain't no. happening. No, this this movie ends on entirely unearned sequel bait that is never going to be resolved. Because <laughs> <laughs> this movie is not making its money back. It, it, it might have well ended with Princess Peach coming in going like, we gotta go on another adventure. I got my guns. <laughs> you say that. Watch like 10 years from now, they somehow decide to make a sequel to that for no good reason. It has nothing to do with the original Super Mario Brothers movie. Just... <laughs> uh... But, jeez, oh, the, the amount of sequel bait they did at the end of this was hilarious. It's doubly embarrassing because how bad the movie is before. Yeah. Because... At that point, they had to have known that they were just trying to get a product out and make cut their losses. And at that at that point, oh, they- someone corrected me. It was Princess Daisy, not Peach. I apologize for misremembering the <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, no, no. I just no, want no, to make that fact. correction. I, the, the other thing that I felt was more befuddling was just sort of like the way that the dialogue was written. I always like to look up who does the screenplay and the pedigree for the screenwriting for this was not particularly strong. From what I could tell, you had no. someone whose background was in like comedy writing and someone whose background was, and back comedy writing as in like Mr. Bean movies and the like. And another yeah. one, and another one whose background was primarily in being a playwright so i'm just like hmm it felt like there's many many questionable decisions throughout the entire production that compounded itself during the reshoots and reworks and exchanging of licenses and all that stuff two more super chats uh, one from dana himrich uh allison you're the only person who seems to remember that god-awful city of ember movie <laughs> I remember it because I worked at the movie theater when it came out, and so I got to uh, see it for free. But they also gave us mini posters, which is a sign that a movie's going to do badly because they give like free mini posters out. And uh, we were so bored working box office one day, I uh, colored it with Sharpie. Um, they were like falling off of a cliff or something, and I, I changed it to City of Dismember, and then it was super <laughs> funny. <laughs> uh. Uh, and Stephanie Stephanie Z, the Vietnam shoot is the first of the deleted scenes. Also, how would they even make a sequel to this? Mm. Um, well, first of all, they would find someone to actually cast in the role of Opal because clearly that was a decision they didn't want to make. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's have the a sensible villain of the movie entirely off screen, do nothing, and then the film is resolved through the characters not really doing much of anything. It just happens to them through Deus Ex Machina. I'm the main villain of the movie! I will do nothing but talk and then go, no, at the end! (laughs) I should mention the visual look of the movie. Mm -hmm. I was sort of impressed with the sort of fancy world that they envisioned to a certain extent, because on a production level, it looks quite impressive. The the fairy world looks expensive and well-made. Mm-hmm. Like you can, the effects. But then they get to the action stuff. They get to the action stuff, and that's where it really starts falling down. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, when There's... him and the butler are like fighting, and then like, uh, and then the uh, butler guy takes out uh, the fl- the crossbow or whatever, bow and arrow. It looks so bad. Mm-hmm. There is so many terrible bits of CGI physics in this, really groan worthy, and it feels like Branner is constantly throwing CGI in your face. Mm-hmm constantly even in shots that don't really require it just like there'll be some detail in the background and it just feels gratuitously expensive it feels like it's like it's got a really ugly overproduced look to it the entirety of the film half of the effect shots are because of this um big time bubble they throw around Artemis's house that spends half the movie collapsing they they shatter at the halfway point but it takes another half an hour for it to finally fall down and whilst it's doing so it's sucking the fairy officers through it and then we get this warp effect of yeah that looked really bad it, it looked, looked like, cheap, like yeah. that looked horrendous. It looked like a, it looked like like a cheap yeah. Yeah, 90s music video effect. Yeah, effect. I was just going to say very 90s feel to that. Yeah, and there were one or two shots that had like effect shots that had a very low frame rate. And I wasn't yeah. sure if that was the intention or yeah. not, or if that was like um, they were slowing it down and it wasn't supposed to be like it wasn't filmed for that or whatever. But it looked very bad. There, there was yeah there, there's way too much effects in this yeah at every stage 
Absolutely. I mean, I remember you mentioning there was one thing where a door looked like it moved at a low frame rate. And then watching it again, it's like, oh, no, it's just an overly detailed door with segmented lights creating it. And that's way too much detail to spend on a background piece that makes it just look like it's running at a lower frame rate than the rest of the film. So it's just. Yeah, it didn't look good. And there was one that was supposed to be like a big money shot for the movie. Like it was um, when they're using the the big. plot device uh, whatever thing um that they found and then like um holly activates it i think and they have this like panning zoom shot of her looking at it and it's lighting up and it's doing whatever it's supposed to do um and and it was like a low frame rate Mm -hmm. for some reason like so it looked like they they didn't film it for slow motion but then they slowed it down and that's Mm -hmm. like a very important shot in the movie another super chat from carson and kelly you're spoiling me uh kelly (laughs) steady on (laughs) uh allison would a model land movie make more sense than this no (laughs) no it would not Look, Model Land as a book doesn't make sense. As a movie, it would be even more nonsense. <laughs> it would resemble this to a certain extent. Model Man, uh, I would hope Model Land as a movie would be more entertaining than Artemis Fowl. This is sad. Yeah. It's really yeah, sad. It's not It's not so bad it's good. It's just really, really bad mm-hmm. in so many different ways. This is literally Disney given a whole wall of money and setting it on fire like the Joker. It's it's frankly obscene at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. it lost me part way through, and I, I was getting very bored, and it just felt like mm-hmm. a lot of the same. It felt like one long act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, well, half the movie feels like an action sequence. Yeah, like they they storm onto Fowl's Manor, <laughs> and that's pretty much the rest of the movie. Oh yeah, when the can we talk about when the the big tr- I think it was a troll. The big yes. troll guy falls on top of the butler, and they have yep. the sad scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What'd you guys think of that? <laughs> I, I like how... You know, uh, the best thing I think with someone who got crushed by a chandelier is to move them up several flights of stairs into a completely different room. Yeah, they like sit it. him up in the chair as he's dying of internal injuries. <laughs> I like how uh, with uh, with Butler, they had him, you know, they had him doing kendo with Artemis earlier on. And then it's like, in kendo, there's a turn to use about, like, finishing off someone, Kiriyoroshi, to, to finish the killing blow. It's just like, are you saying that Artemis should grab a sword and just end it right now? No, but wish he what had. That'd be badass. That would have no. been just like, just what is that? He he saves him during a stupid fight. A big CGI thing falls on top of him. It looks so silly. And then they cut to them being all sad because he's dying. They've propped him up in yeah. a chair. His his like outfit isn't even messed up. It's so clean. It's like wait. And to oh, to feel sad about this. And on top of this, there was the comment earlier about everything feeling like it's all like utilitarian. And that was definitely the case because you had this Italian wedding scene where a, a troll shows up and is there one to set up the troll for later on and two to establish, oh, don't use fairy magic to heal humans. You can't do that. And then the reversal at the end when they remove the magic barrier to allow Holly to heal Butler. And it's just like everything feels like, oh, it's either there to explain the plot to be a specific setup or whatever, you know, and, and, yeah. And that's why I think it feels so padded and strained and rushed all at the same time. It's because they're, 
everything is so utilitarian that it's like it's Chekhov's shotgun over and over again. There is no characters here. There is no story. There is only plot. I, I feel like there is a difference between yes. plot and story. Uh, you know, plot is what drives the characters. Story is what the movie is supposed to be about. The movie is really about nothing. Yeah. There are no themes. There is no nothing. There is just lots and lots of expense thrown on screen to the point where it becomes so disconnected from anything you could pl- tangibly connect to. You don't know why things are happening mm-hmm. and for what reason. And the whole thing is carried along with this really disinterested vibe. You can tell that Kenneth Branagh had no real connection with the source material whatsoever. Neither did the writers. You can tell that the writers looked at these books and went well, we can't adapt these, um, throw in a bunch of stuff, make the plot as broadly generic as possible, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's aimed at no one in particular, because if you're a fan of Artemis Fowl, you will be appalled at what they've done to this movie. Mm-hmm. And if you're completely unfamiliar with Artemis Fowl, like I am, you'll just spend the whole movie going, I don't even know what is going on half the time. It's a real muddle of a movie that succeeds on absolutely no level Mm -hmm. i can't apart from production design i can't think of many virtues for this film Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like artemis fowl uh the character telling us he is a genius but not actually doing anything genius and they had an out um for the problem i had with the the book that i read just the first one and that like as an anti-hero there's nothing really to cling to with him that you like about him um and they they mix some stuff in from the other books so that like his dad's kidnapped so the reason that he's doing this is to save his dad so he's really willing to do some um unscrupulous things uh in order to mm. to save his father and you could tell that like this relationship with his father like when he's uh he's talking to him and he just goes like all right just tell me when you're gonna leave they're setting up some things with these characters but it's really unfortunate that this is just off of three days of reshoot so it's not a through line through the movie yeah Mm -hmm. no you can't just bolt that stuff onto the narrative later and expect it to suddenly work right another super chat from kelly sorry about all the super chats just trying to give a little something back to um, one of the youtube one of the youtubers keeping me sane this year promise this will be the last one so i think of another one. Oh, thank thank you kelly i'm uh, you're so generous I, I, I was just a little bit worried that was all but yeah the the fact is this this artemis foul adaptation is essentially because it's treated as a problem to be solved it takes away the entire identity of what it's adapting, and it just ends up feeling like a bunch of things that you've seen from other movies. Yeah, and I think that's what happens when you have a movie, like you said, that doesn't have a story, so there's nothing that the movie is about. So all you're left with is basically the the trappings that the film is trying to do to advance the plot, and that's why I think we spent so much time, I think others have, just thinking of all these other movies that this just reminds us of. Yes. Because, because at that point, you're just thinking about, well, here's these the same trappings i've seen before in x y or z film and yeah i mean we were throwing them around like stormbreaker (laughs) sort of james bond thing yeah the um men in black uh, right the malt jupiter ascending i I was i got like a whole guardians of the galaxy sort of vibe with how 
with Mulch's whole angle too, just like it's just so weird how it came up comes off. It feels like they they just sort of cobbled it together from parts, and as such, it has no real identity of its own anymore. Yeah, Power Beam Oh Eight, uh, the animated shows I and movies I highly recommend uh, now and then here: Outlaw Star, Attack on Titan, Tech on Kid Treat, uh, Cowboy Bebop, Millennium Actress, Berserk, Azobi Azobase, Kill the Kill, and and Rizero. Mm-hmm. I have heard of some of those. Yep. I have heard of some of yep. them. Stephanie Z again. Uh, this should have been Disney's A24 style thriller. It's interesting, actually, on that point, because people have mentioned, oh, it could have been like Die Hard with, with a fancy twist or something like that, or a heist thriller. Yeah, and yeah. you get none of that from the final products of the movie. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, yeah, the, that, that, the heist, right. I was thinking like, like the Ocean's Eleven, Italian job sort of vibe with the heist angle towards the end that it lasts for about five minutes because that's how long it takes for Mulch to eat his way into the mansion and then open the safe. And then it's like, yeah, there's the MacGuffin right there. Is that a heist? I mean, if the movie is supposed to be about a criminal, uh, uh, like a criminal mastermind child, make him a criminal mastermind they're constantly afraid of actually making him the villain yeah i uh i feel like the book was much more successful in that way that it did feel like a heist with a super genius child and them trying to constantly outwit each other but he he, you know he knows about the magical worlds and they um you know they underestimate this uh this human child that they're coming up against um but it doesn't yeah. feel like any of that it doesn't feel like much of anything i didn't really get a lot from artemis fowl as a character yeah. um if i hadn't read the book i i would understand even less about what they were trying to go for <laughs> uh in this movie i don't know why the focus on josh gad like he's not a very good character and he's not in that much of it mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's the protagonist why Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Artemis, I, I didn't even get the impression that he was all that smart in the movie because he doesn't seem to be acting mm-hmm. like it as much as they keep telling us right. that he is. The only reason he seems like he's smart is because he suddenly knows the exposition when he's required to. <laughs> right. The, the one scene that like tries really hard to show him off how smart he is about fairies is like when Judy Den shows up and he like invites her into his house and all this stuff and it's like it's the movie trying to be very clear like yeah he knows all this stuff about the fairy world and otherwise i'm like it just seems so stilted it's supposed to be the the scene of oh he's the mastermind he's playing all the chess pieces no 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 he isn't he doesn't he's he's clearly not in command of that scene judy dench yeah it's just a kid who kidnapped a fairy by pure dumb luck and knew like a few things and then it seems like he's completely in over his head once the fairies actually arrive and yeah. they're under assault. That's such a god right, because once the troll shows up like he's he's just completely out of his element and it it, it it further makes the criminal mastermind line that happens after all that to be even more grown worthy and forced. Yeah, someone in the chat I mean, said uh, the movie reminded them of a wrinkle in time. That's what uh, Disney Plus suggested right after this finished. If you enjoyed this Disney live action fantasy box office bomb, you would also like another Disney box office fantasy bomb at the box office. <laughs> it has that thing that so many would be franchise starters also have in that it never actually feels like it's. It always feels like it's deferring for a sequel. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have time to do this, so we'll put it in the sequel. Right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna cram in all the all the world building stuff in this one next time. We'll do a movie. 
movie. No, do the movie first. Like, you don't get a franchise if you don't have a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, they think the name alone will get them through it like it's guaranteed. And then, like, it, you know, if they just make the first one exposition, then you can get to the actual, like, movie stuff in the next right. one. It's like, well, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> like, I, I, I made a reference to the... Te- I made a reference to Detective Pikachu just as an example of what well, I was thinking of an adaptation that requires a lot of world building. And... I'm somewhat familiar with that, so the world building was easier for me to pick up on, so I don't know what it would be like for someone who's completely blind going in. But I felt that that was a case where there was more elegant world building and less like effort at blatant sequel baiting or otherwise, because I don't think there was really any in that. Whereas this was just exposition, info dump, move the plot along, move the plot along, bait the sequel done yeah i mean detective pikachu i i went into it not knowing anything about the game or the plot and i still followed it and you're right it didn't act like it was you know supposed to be part of a franchise and have a sequel and that's why this one fails in that it felt like they were just like we're gonna make a franchise out of this rather than we are gonna make a good movie yeah absolutely yeah it's a it's a bad faith movie in that respect it's not aimed to make a good movie it's aimed to create a franchise and it's so painfully obvious in all respects in that in that area and and the difference is you can clearly tell that detective pikachu is made by people who went okay we're making this successful we're making this so that if people don't know what pokemon is they can still get a grasp of what's going on Mm -hmm. whereas this is made by people whose idea of making it accessible is just constantly unloading information on the audience superfluous or not well and considering you know i don't i mean detective pikachu bringing that it's not like i don't know if it's like a a great comparison but that is a bizarre plot for a movie it is weird even for pokemon it is a very very weird idea like it would be the last thing you would think they would make an adaptation of and yet they made a really great tight little standalone movie with it you don't have to be familiar with pokemon you don't have to be familiar with that game but they made a great standalone movie there that felt like it was part of a world you could expand on if you Mm -hmm. wanted to and that's what they should have done with artemis fowl just create a really good standalone movie with a great world and if people really like that you can go in on and make your franchise people will watch it you don't have to say like here's the franchise that we're making just make a a solid single movie Mm -hmm. the sequel is the expansion pack not the first (laughs) yes the first one shouldn't be just just pure vomit i mean I, i would really like to have some sort of competition for someone to find one line of dialogue in Artemis Fowl that isn't in some way exposition. Yeah. <sighs> like, every single scene, e- even up until the end. Absolutely. It, it gets to the end of the movie, they're still... Yeah. So, and it's still going, like, Artemis set up this thing, and do-do-do-do-do, and that's why I did this, and do-do-do-do-do. It feels like we're at the end of, like, the murder mystery, and they're like, and that is why so-and-so was the murderer, because they do-do-do. <laughs> All right, man. Can events happen off screen they just mentioned in an offhanded line of dialogue you can right. really tell that they were just subbing in for missing material yeah. i would love to know what the original cut was because i feel like it was probably better to be honest mm-hmm. i don't know if it was good it was but i think it was probably yeah. better than this because it's messy yeah it's so messy you would you would look at this and you think man kenneth branner has never directed anything in his life N- when Kenneth Branagh has literally been making movies for 30 years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's been making movies about as long as this movie's been in development. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know Branagh gets lumped here as being the Shakespeare guy. He's had this weird career of being the Hollywood for hire guy on projects like Jack Ryan. Mm. He previously worked with Disney on Cinderella. Like, he, he's not above this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like a Kenneth Branagh movie in any way. Whenever I watch a Kenneth Branagh film, I feel like I instantly know one of his movies because they feel insanely theatrical Mm -hmm. at all times, often bombastically so. Mm -hmm. I I felt that was a problem with his version of Murder on the Orient Express Mm -hmm. in that you try to take a chamber piece, essentially, and then just try to goose it up with thunderstorms and avalanches and runaway escapes. and like You're just adding nothing to this whatsoever. But at least that felt like a Kenneth Branagh movie you know it, it doesn't have any of the sort of over the top silliness of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein which is literally just full on operatic turned up to 11 or anything <laughs> like that it's personality free yeah it it doesn't feel like any anyone in particular owned this it feels like the Disney executives definitely uh, bundled in on Kenneth Branagh very quickly after that what was presumably a terrible test screen. I wonder if after that, just piecing together this reshoot mess, that's why it feels so soulless because they were like, we're just trying to like get a finished movie out at this point. Mm-hmm. It has all the trademarks of a movie that has been fixed. And by fixed, I mean, they got something out of this it's not going to make any money whatsoever. It was never going to make any money. If they released this in theatres, it was going to stink up the place. Because this is garbage. Absolutely rubbish. Maybe uh, maybe, so maybe going straight to streaming saved it. Because now uh, you can watch it with your friends, make fun of it, uh, and rewind when she says lines, you know, when Judy Dench says lines about, you know, uh, shamrocks or four-leaf clovers or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. top of the morning. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> and you can do that. Later. <laughs> you can take bathroom breaks in the middle of it and not miss anything. It's great. I don't, I don't know if I count yeah, this. The great thing is, it's open for mothra. I don't know you that know, it's it's already a rental it's an automatic rental you know don't have to spend theater money <laughs> thank god you don't have to spend theater money on this tribe can you imagine being sat there watching something like this i i feel like i've watched this kind of movie before and i know exactly how that feels watching something like this so led you'd have like kids behind you like what's happening I don't know what's going uh, on yeah. in the movie. I, I would say that's the only line of the movie I could think of that was a strict exposition is get to get the four leaf clover out of here. Just, four leaf clover. <laughs> would either of you recommend this as like a like make fun of it watch or just a like just don't bother? I feel like if you had the right band of yes. friends, especially if you were a fan of the books, yes. If you're not necessarily the fan of the books and you're watching solo, no. Absolutely. I th- I think Watching with at least one person who's familiar with the source material even lightly helps a lot because then it's easier to notice like the the mishandlings in the production. And I think with the right group of people, it can be entertaining. Like, I'll say this. I enjoyed the watch as bad as the movie was because it was with you two, obviously. Um, I would not have gotten as much enjoyment or if any watching it on my own because i would have been just sitting there confused and with nobody to be like what the heck just happened there well it helps too like to not feel like you're going crazy like what happened no one else knows all right yeah (laughs) 
I think this is right on down there with probably one of the worst YA movies I think I've ever seen. I mean, there, there's a whole litany of really bad adaptations like Aragon and Cirque de Freak and things like that. But <laughs> even those have their moments. This is completely DOA, in my opinion. At least uh, at least City of Ember had a giant mole killing Bill Murray, and that was pretty great. <laughs> uh, and it had, like, you know, an interesting world to look at. And I feel like when we didn't... Like, the very few scenes in the fairy world in this looked fantastical and great, but the rest of it is just set in a rich person house. It's not very interesting. The fact they filmed in so many countries and yet got this, um, mm-hmm. spent so much money and yet got this, is is really, really sad. And I guess it proves that, like, just throwing money at something does not make something good. Absolutely. No. I think that pretty much wraps it up. I think that's as much as we really have to say on this disaster piece. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alison, where can people find you? You can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash movie nights the series, or on Twitter under at Alison Pregler. And Skit, where can people find your work? Uh, you... Including my title sequence for Bad Movie Beatdown. Oh, geez. I haven't put that up on my Bandcamp yet. I probably should at some point. Um, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Skitch Music. And uh, you can find music I've made over at skitch.bandcamp.com. Um, but yeah. Including uh, the Movie Nights theme. That is on there, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can, of course, find me on Twitter, FB underscore BMB. If you would like to do me the favor of smashing that like button and tickling the bell or whatever it is for <laughs> 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 you, can, you can also find myself a Patreon at Patreon.com. <laughs> oh, in, in the words of Cartoon Kelly, uh, I think you four leaf clovered that up there. <laughs> yeah, another super chat there from Kelly. Kill <laughs> the battle. Kill the battle. <laughs> I was going to go so, more rude then, but I decided to hang out. Ding the dong. Ding the dong yeah. there. <laughs> Scratch his back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, hope you enjoyed the stream, and I will wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Matthew Buck, fading out. Bye! Bye. Thank you for listening to the Film Brain Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that if you want to support my work, be it podcasts or YouTube videos, please go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash filmbrain where you can experience those episodes early, among other perks. And just a quick shout out to my Patreons, Tim Poppleton, Inigo Almandos, Tim Tark, G Viral, Henry Jacob, Manuel Jonan, Jonah Gustafson, Tom Oliver Maddox. And remember, if you have any feedback about the show over social media, please use the Hashtag Film Brain Podcast.